Um, here at Grace Christian Fellowship, uh, we have a vision. Anybody know what it is? Strengthen to reach, right. And Sunday school is part of that. We're strengthening to reach. We're strengthening our families, but we, provide us, we, we try to provide the tools through Sunday school for your kids, but you have to keep that going in the home. And this is the portion of our service. Does anybody know what this portion of our service is called? The transition time. We had a meeting of the transition people, team, uh, about two weeks ago. And one thing that was covered as we were talking about, you know, what's our vision for, for the transitions that was very interesting was, you know, this is a transition through a service that is meant to strengthen to reach all the aspects of the service. The worship ministry, when we worship God, um, when we praise God, uh, the sermons where we learn about God, the Sunday school where we strengthen our family, strengthen our kids, and even the transition where we try to help equip you with your tithes. And we talk about tithes and we give you the opportunity to tithe, which is a form of worship. And just like the Sunday schools where we provide your kids with some tools and some teaching and you, it's up to you to keep that going, so too with the tithes. Uh, the ushers will come forth, we'll receive the tithes, we'll collect the, the tithes, but we can't write the checks for you. It's up to you to do that, to, to, to take that step of worship one step further and be faithful in it. So in a moment, um, oh, and, sorry, Judy, also please fill out your welcome cards. Uh, this is a great time to fill out your welcome cards They're in the front pocket. Let's us know, kind of keep tabs on who's here. And also on the back, you can fill out any comments. Um, maybe you have a great idea for a welcoming ministry where we would put ushers on segways and they could <laughs> move around to welcome people. Or maybe you'd like to see more dioramas used in church. The back of the welcome cards is a great place to do that. So I'm going to pray for the kids. I'll pray for the ties, and the ushers will come forth and receive them, and uh, we'll get started. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for this time, Lord. Thank you for this time where uh, we can be equipped and strengthened, Lord. And uh, I, I pray for a blessing on the ties. I pray for a blessing on the Sunday school teachers and the children. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Pastor Jim. Well, good morning. Hello. It's good to see you. You are good looking. You are good looking. If you weren't good looking, it would not be good to see you. I'd want to preach facing the wall maybe. I don't know. This is a good looking crowd. Have you seen some ugly crowds? I have seen some ugly crowds. This is not one of them. So I want to tell you, just uh, I was blessed yesterday. We had at, at my house the home group leaders. So our church has a number of home groups, and our home group leaders came over. We have a home group for home group leaders once a month at my house. And I just love these people. I do. I just want you to know we have great home group leaders. They love you. They love their home groups. And I was blessed to be with them yesterday. And uh, <clears throat> I felt bad for them. I started the night off with some energy. But I don't know, around 9, nine o'clock, all of a sudden, you know when you get tired and then you get, like, stupid tired? <laughs> I was stupid tired. There were some funny things being said at the, we were talking and just sharing, uh, sharing hearts. And, and uh, some funny things were being said by, oh, I don't know, maybe Ryan Spellacy and some other people. And, and I found myself about 30 seconds after the statement going, oh, yeah, that was good. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, I'm blessed by them. And Pastor Frank, my dad, is not here. He's in, the, he's in the Philippines. I've started calling it Philippians, and I don't know why. So if I call it Philippians, please bear with me. He's, he, uh, this poor guy, 
he had a tough time getting to his trip. I'm actually not just checking a text or anything. I'm going to read an email he sent my mom that talks about how his trip started off, okay? And you have to picture before this email even started, there was kind of an omen, a kind of a sign of the trip. He, uh, he ran down the stairs, and, and those of you who know my dad, well, you can picture this, but he ran down the stairs, so he pictured, dun, 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 dun. oh, I lost track of time, right? Is that my dad? Oh! So he, uh, he grabbed his bags, and he threw them in the back of his, his SUV, and he left a latch open. So you can picture my mom running down the street in her bathroom, Frank, 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 and... All right, so that's how it starts. <clears throat> so here's what he says. Here's what's happened so far. A, I originally missed my bus to the airport by about five minutes, but that was okay because the next bus got there in plenty of time. You already know about that. You know, when you know you're already running late for a trip and then you miss your bus, ooh. Uh, because of the snow, we were kept in the airstrip for three hours. So we took off three hours later. So he finally makes it to Chicago. It was one of the snow days. He's three hours on the airport, <clears throat> just sitting there. You saw this happen to a number of you. It's a pain, right? Because the plane burned so much fuel in those hours, we didn't have enough fuel to land in Hong Kong. Therefore, we landed in Taipei for fuel and a crew change. That took about two hours. When we did land in Hong Kong, it was too late for the flight to Manila. So they put us up in a, in a hotel. Um, fancy hotel, probably cost them plenty. They gave me about four hours of sleep before I had to get to the Hong Kong airport. That plane had a problem. We were delayed two hours. When I finally got to Manila, it was 11 o'clock Wednesday. Well, that was my adventure getting here. So this poor guy, 48 hours to get from here to there. That is brutal, right? So please keep him in your prayers. That's a long trip. And, uh, uh, you know, I've traveled with my dad. <laughs> Some of you have traveled with my dad. <laughs> You know, he, uh, he, he, you know, he jokes about uh, shvilkes, right? Ants in the pants. My dad has ants in the pants. <laughs> and um, so pray for him. I can't imagine 48 hours getting there. Uh, I can't imagine the person who's sitting next to him in the airplane. Uh, ho hold on a second. Hello, Mark Coldman. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty funny. So <laughs> Mark Coldman just called me. I like these. I'm going to share. I just want to. Some of you have seen these already in the internet. You know, you might be a child, or you might be a child of, or know a child of the 50s, or 60s, or 70s, or 80s. If right, so you've seen these. I know a number of you've seen these. I just want to share these. They kind of make me smile. They definitely make. I was laughing at some of them out loud when I was uh, preparing this. You might be a child of 50s if pharmacies were called drugstores and had soda fountains where druggists mixed malteds. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Now, if I call somebody a druggist, I'm thinking that man's in his garage with making some meth. Yeah. It's a totally different thing. <clears throat> you might be child 50s if you enjoyed watching Howdy Doody Time. Yeah. But, well, the original, the first time through. If guys and gals wore saddle shoes. Yeah. And if you don't know what saddle shoes are, find somebody that just said, yep. Yeah. If you own a coonskin hat. Now, I've got to tell you, I'm not a child of the 50s, but I always thought those were cool when I was a kid. And there was one, this is a true story. I was about 17 or 18. My friend, um, Schultze, Schultze was driving, and he hit a raccoon, and he pulled the car over so he could go out and snip the tail off the raccoon. He, he did, well, the raccoon was dead. He didn't need the tail, but. Um, Brill cream, right? You remember Brill cream? Some of you do. I know it's true. Michael Arndt, you remember it? You might be a child of the 60s 
60s, I'm a product of the 60s, if you watch the Ed Sullivan Show with your parents, right? Remember the Beatles were just celebrating their anniversary? If, uh, if when you were a kid, your station wagon seat faced backward. If you wore nice clothing when you were on an airplane. That was a big deal, right? You remember that? Being a kid on an airplane, that was, that was like... McDonald's was over one million sold. Now there's probably, I don't know how many McDonald's there are. You might be a child of the 70s if you still wonder if Mikey died from the combination of Pop Rocks and Coca-Cola. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about, but those of you who do, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you had a Dorothy Hamill haircut. Alex, did you have a Dorothy Hamill haircut? Yeah. I know some of you girls did. Um, if you remember getting off the couch to change the channels. In other words, if you were the remote control. Jim, adjust the antenna. Stand there. So you know what I mean. Um, if you were into the bionic man or the bionic woman or anything like that. If you grew up on Schoolhouse Rock. Yeah. You might be a child of the 90s. I'm going to save the 80s for last. You might be a child of the 90s if you know the Macarena by heart. If you enjoyed watching Wishbone. Uh, if you had a talking Elmo or a Furby. I got to tell you, my daughter, Johanna, had a Furby. She wanted a Furby in the worst way. So we bought her a Furby for Christmas. That was her big gift. That's what she wanted in the worst way. <clears throat> so all day long, she's got this Furby. And the Furby had, had a little computer in it and would tell you when you had to feed it or, you know, do whatever you did with it, but it would, it would make these weird sounds. And about, oh, I don't know, three in the morning, my wife and I were sleeping that night, Christmas night, and she busts open our bedroom door, and she chucks the Furby in our room. <laughs> I am, hey, I don't want this. I hate this Furby. I can't sleep. And she went to bed, and she never touched it again. We left it in our closet. That's true. Isn't that true, Johanna? All right. You might, re you might be a child from the 90s if you remember when Mark Wahlberg was known as Marky Mark. Or if a Hakuna Matata is your life motto. In the 80s, I graduated high school in 1985. I was thinking about that. Some of you think, oh, he's so young. He's so young. Some of you are thinking, wow, you're that old. Yeah. The guy who said that is three months younger than me. So, child 80s, if you ever ended, if you ever ended a sentence with the word psych. Two words, two words for you 80s people, hammer pants. I know some of you know what I'm talking about. Remember, where's the beef? Remember that? If you remember, um, well, I'm, I'm not going to say his name. I'm going to say the sentence, and then you tell me who said this. You ready? I know you are, but what am I? Who said? Pee Wee Herman, right? Um, or if you ever wanted to be a goonie. Yeah, some of you are like, what's a Goonie? Child, children of the 80s, they know Goonies. It's kind of fun to reflect and, and get back and, you know, see the context of, our, of that time, of those times, the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. Uh, times change a lot, haven't they? When I went to high school, I, I mentioned I graduated in 1985, but I went to uh, maybe for a while it was not the nicest high school. My senior year, we had the highest crime rate and lowest grade point in the uh, southeastern Wisconsin. So it was not, uh, not a kind school. But I remember 
um, if anybody would visit our school, it was kind of a survival of the fittest for those visitors, right? So parents would walk in or other adult visitors, and sometimes kids were not nice to them. And I remember about 10 years ago, my wife and I, we had moved to Waukesha, and we thought, well, let's check out the high school there and make sure it's the right high school for our kids. And, and uh, we were walking in the door, and it was about 4.30 at night, so there were still kids, you know, students standing around. And uh, there's a big group of them at the door, and I thought, okay, here we go. Here we go. Because that's how I know high school, right? That was my experience. Here we go. I'm going to walk through this crowd. And, uh, and they stopped, and they gave us, you know, the eye. We're getting closer. And I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. They're going to say something. I'm ready for it. And then they stepped back and opened the door and said, hello. <laughs> Blew my mind. But I didn't. By the time my youngest daughter graduated, it had gone to that place that I knew. It had really started to shift that way. There were still good kids there. It's not the point. My high school wasn't full of all bad kids. But times change. Times change. Do you know what I mean? Going to the store, the niceties, the manners aren't there the same way. Just people have changed. It's, it's a, uh, more cynical, I think. Society is a little more cynical. Not everybody. I just, you know, as a whole, there's, it's not as trusting. I, um, uh, my daughter Emily goes to school in Minnesota, and uh, we've been paying for her car insurance. So I thought, well, this seems kind of crazy. Why are we paying? So I called our insurance company and said, I'd like to drop or remove our daughter from insurance. She doesn't drive. She doesn't have a car. And we'd like to remove her. And she said, oh, well, the lady on the phone from the insurance company said, I don't know if that's uh, going to make sense. Does she have a new driver's license? Oh, no, 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 she doesn't. She just goes to school in Minnesota. And the lady said, well, if she's still your, in your part of your address, even if she's away, I still need to charge you for insurance. And this went back and forth, and ultimately she said, um, there's so many people that have lied and said their children have gone away to school, and then we found that they've been here, and but it's had a big impact on American family, my insurance company's rates. And I think, well, that's too bad. Society's really evolved to that place. People are just looking to save a buck. It's just a different time. And it's good to know the context of our times. The New Testament talked a lot about the last days. It's interesting. Because it, 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 it speaks many times of the last days. There's times where we're told to remember that we're in the last days. And it's, this, it's, it, we're being told to watch for the context of these times. Watch for it. It's interesting, isn't it? But with all these changes, well, we're going to read a verse. Bring it up there, Alex. Here we go. You know, I remember back in the day... Um, preacher would say, turn two, and everybody take a couple minutes, and you hear the pages going. And uh, so now we've evolved to this place with technology. I'm going to read one wall, and you read another wall. Kind of odd. All right, so 2 Timothy chapter 3. Um, but know this, in the last days, perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves. See, now this is starting to talk about society here in these days. Lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving. This is really downer, right? Um, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. They seem like believers or they seem like they know about God, but they don't. And from such people turn away for these uh, for this sort are those who creep into households and who make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. I think this is a really de depressing passage. I do. 
I'm reading about it. I know that I'm in the last days, and I know the Bible says I need to pay, context, pay attention to the context of the last days. And I read about the people in the last days with me. This is a downer. And I also think it's a downer because I know some of these people. Do you? It's no problem. We see politicians like this. And what's amazing is they stay in office sometimes. I don't know. I think this is really something. So this is, this is the context of our times. Let's, let's, uh, let's read another passage here, Alex. Hebrews 10, let us hold fast. Let us believers hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. The Lord is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together as, a, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And I like that last line. I like it a lot. And all the more, as you see the day draw near, the closer it gets to the end, the more important than ever it is for us to stir up each other to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. The closer it gets, the closer it gets to the end, right? Bit by bit by bit, the closer it gets. And I think the... uh, the call to stir is good. But I really think the key passage where the, or the, the, the key passage that I want to pull out today is love. That word love there is agape. There are several types of love in the Bible. There's Really, there's four. One of them, eh, it's kind of a hybrid-y word. I'm going to leave that off. But the other three types of love, one type of love, and I know a number of you know this, but I want to refresh it. One type of love is a brotherly love. Just when you click, you just get along with somebody. It's a, it's a good love. It's a nice love. Then there's another type of love. It's, it's a little romantic. Right? Charlie and Chantal, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah? So it's a romantic love. You get married. That's love between husband and wife. Right? But then there's this love. The agape love. This is not a feeling love. In fact, we can't find any feeling for this at all. This is a call to response, a call to obedience. What's interesting, if we search the scripture, we cannot find anywhere where it's an option. It is an action, a call to something. It is a call to something. There's a great description. We're going to read it in a minute. I read this description at some weddings. It's agape love. And I've heard people say that's agape love. You know, weddings should be about the romantic type of love. You know, I believe as we get into this description, this is just as important as ever for a husband or wife to have agape love for each other as it is the romantic love for each other. This love is for all people, not just believers for believers, believers for the world, but it's for how we view everybody we look at, everybody we look at. This is the same love that Jesus exercised when he died on the cross. I don't know that he felt his love. Maybe he did. I don't know. But I know he certainly acted on it. Right? Okay. We're going to read. Don't go there yet. Back up, back up. We'll surprise him. Be intrigued. (laughs) Hang in there. So, okay, I want to set the stage here. This is a well-known passage, but it's important that we see the the context that it is in. Paul says, before we read, and we're not going to read this part, Paul is saying, love is the most important thing. You can have all these spiritual gifts, but love is the important thing. For a believer's resume, for a Christian's resume, it is really cool to have spiritual gifts. Right? But what basically what Paul's saying is the Harvard statement in your resume is love. 
It is the important thing. It is love. Uh, I work, any of you who work in business, you know the value of a nice resume, right? Anybody. It's a, there's a value of a good resume. If somebody had a Harvard degree on their resume, it doesn't matter what job they're applying for, I'm going to be intrigued. Oh, look at somebody from Harvard is applying for my job. Wow, what do you know about that? I could work with a Harvard graduate. Or a Georgetown, or a Yale. We don't see a lot of those. This is the Harvard for the spiritual resume, love. Agape love is, the, is that. Not the brotherly love. It's the agape love. And, you know, what about moving forward? When I read the passage, how would you feel if I didn't use the word love, even though you will see love up there? I'm going to use the word agape. To me, if I hear the word love, I think of something all squishy. Mm. And I think some of you men do, too. I don't know about you ladies, but I know some of you men, you feel the same way, because I've talked to you about it. It's, you know, romantical and nice, you know, and I love you, man. But agape is a different thing, and I want to se- call it agape instead of love, because I want it to be distinct. I want to read it with that tone. Does that sound fair? All right, we know it's the Harvard resume portion for us as believers. And Paul says... And by the way, there is, I can find no other description. I was talking to my wife about this, and Leah said this, and she, I think she's right on. I can find no other description in the Bible that just, uh, about, about, a, about something like this, the way agape love is described to us. It's distinct in that way. Okay, all right, Alex. Agape is patient and kind. It is patient and kind. Agape does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Agape bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures through all things. Agape. Remember, it's not just about you know, that feeling of love, but it's the agape. It's, when it's an action when we do these things. If we're going to have this action, this action is going to mean we're going to be patient, we're going to be kind, we're, gonna be, we're not going to envy, we're, we're going to uh, not boast. It's, it's like that. Right? So... <clears throat> I just want to make sure that we're all on the same page, that this is absolutely the essential way for us to walk our lives. This is not the option. This is not the uh, suggestion of how we should treat people that we like. This is absolutely the essential way for us to walk our lives toward everybody. I think that passage in Corinthians has a lot of points to it. I want to focus on two things that I believe will help us in, this to- in these times, in the context of this era, with agape love. Two things to focus on. We could list a whole bunch of things. We could do this, this, and I just want to pull out two things. If we master these two things, if we master them, our behaviors here and our behaviors in the world will totally shift. And I'm generalizing. I know some of you, I know a lot of you here, and you work on these things, but we will seriously, seriously, positively impact each other in our community with these two behaviors. I'm trying to build more intrigue. All right, number one. Don't assume the motives of others. Oh, I know why they did that. I know why they did that. I know why she said this. I know why she said it. I know why he did that. Why do you think he did that? Those sorts of comments? Absolutely motives. Let's read Jeremiah 17. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? 
I, the Lord, search the heart. Not I, Jim Sussler, search the heart. I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds. We can look at many more verses and we can talk about where the heart and who checks out the heart. This is just one verse to say, the Lord gets the heart. He looks at the whys. We just look at the what's, right? And sometimes the how's. But he looks at the why it done. I tell you, Paul says it really well in the New Testament when he says, I don't even know why I do some of the things I do. And it's true. I don't know why I do some of the things I do. I have done some dumb things, and I've done some really good things. Either way, I've either been really stupid or really lucky because I don't even know why I've done some of them. Has that ever happened to anybody here? You don't even know sometimes why, why you say things that you say or do what you do. The Lord judges our heart. It is not our job to look at how, what other people, why people do what they do. If you want to put a lot of counselors out of business, really, tell other people not to judge motives. Believers or unbelievers, you'll put counselors out of business. Lots of time in marriage counseling, a husband or a wife will come in and say, they never say that. They always say this. Right away, they're looking at motives. They always do it. I know they always do it. That's how they feel. They always just want to do that. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You've either felt this way or you've heard these sorts of things. You always, you never. And right away, they're generalizing and they're looking at motives. Friendships, it's the same thing. Never do this, always do this. It's, a, it's one of these statements, it's a lifetime to learn, or a moment to learn, but a lifetime to master. Not judging motives is a heavy, heavy thing to do. Easy to hear, heavy to do, but it's right on. So that is the first way of exercising agape love in this era. Just don't judge motives. It's a very tactical thing. I, um, I'll give you just a kind of a quick personal example. I Lord laid in my heart a couple weeks ago for this message, to put this message together. And uh, uh, this week, after the Lord laid this in my heart about testimony and these sorts of things, this week at work, uh, somebody on my team had a big meltdown, and she was really convinced that I was out to get her job. Now, she reports to me, she is my top performer. And here she thought I was trying to get her job. I'm trying to promote her. You don't need to know the scenario, but that's pretty clear, isn't it? She thought, for whatever reason, that I was out to get her job. And, I, and at the same time, I'm literally going behind the scenes saying, how can we get this lady promoted? She just doesn't understand not to judge my motives. Right? Right? I can give you an example, a tactical example about our building here. I'll just get, this is an easy example, but I've had this conversation, so I'm going to use this. Why are we getting all this newfangled stuff, like painting the walls? Whoa, what kind of church do you think we are here, Jim? And they just don't know. Right? People just don't understand. We're just painting the walls because we want to update it. We want visitors to feel welcome. We want it to be somewhat neutral. We don't want to have our individual personal styles everywhere because we'll never all agree on what to decorate the place with, right? So we painted the walls a while ago. We got some chairs in the back. We're going to get some tables in the cafe. So we're going to do it. People just don't understand. They just don't know. So we can't judge motives. The second one is found in Colossians 4.6, the second way for a tip for agape love. Let your speech be always gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. That's it. Let your speech be always gracious. Whatever you're going to say in life, say it nicely. Do you ever have anybody say to you, I'm just going to tell them the way it is. Right? 
Some of you know what I'm talking about. Or some of you have told somebody the way it is. Whatever we have to say, we need to say it nicely. I've heard people, I've heard people outside of our congregation say, you know, the church, and they're talking about the whole, all believers, because they don't know who's who. They just say Christians are so judgmental. And sometimes it's just simply understanding, you know, simply it's just saying what we're going to say, but saying it nicely. It's, it's an interesting thing to me. There's a uh, man named John Gottman. Uh, how many of you have heard of John Gottman? A few of you? I know they teach him at uh, they, a lot of universities. If you take psychology courses, will teach Gottman. Um, Gottman is a believer, which is kind of neat, but he's a researcher and modern-day uh, psychiatrist, psychologist. I can't, I, I can't quite remember which one he is. Um, but he does a lot of research work, and he's found, statistically, that just to keep a relationship moving, just to keep it kind of in a neutral, progressing, just rolling along state, for every five compliments, you can, ha- you can bring in one negative statement. All right, so what I mean by that is this. If you, if you see with somebody and you say, oh, you're so ugly, negative statement. You need five things to balance that. But I like your shirt, and I like your pants, and I like your shoes, right? So five compliments for every one statement. So if I'm telling people about what God's doing in my life, but at the same time, I'm saying, yeah, but you're going to hell. You stink. Your habit's going to take you to hell fast. Right? There's a lot of that negative. I'm not going to, it's going to be hard for me to come up with all those positives. Now, I'm not talking to, to, about fooling anybody. But just remembering the, the language that we use. Uh, you know, there's a balance to it. What people hear, people will gravitate to the negative lots of times. There are some people, they gravitate to the negative very, very quickly. There is a such thing, and I, this is a, just a bit of an aside, there is a such thing as over being, po- being over positive. Gottman said if you have 13 positives for one negative, then you're over positive and you'll lose your negative because your people are just ah, hearing only the, the, the good stuff. I know that there's some crazy people in the world. I mean, literally, right? There's some people who have some real challenges. There are some tough people out there in the world. And there are some people who, uh, who just don't know the Lord. There's, all, there's a whole range of people. There's very, uh, people that walk very tightly, very closely with the Lord. And then there's the other side, people who are so far from God, you just can't imagine them ever being with God. But this is our call to have agape, agape love. And it more and more and more and more in these times, in these days, it's going to be more critical to stir up each other to hang in there and to go walk in that agape. And knowing that it's, it's what we say and how, how we look at people. Do we look at the whys of each other or people outside? Or do we just go ask, why do you feel this way? I want to have a positive relationship, building positive relationships. I know it's a challenge. I also know that it's not fair, sort of. Right? Why do I have to have an agape? Why do I have to treat somebody so nicely when they treat me so poorly? You know what I'm talking about? It's like a kick in the pants. Thanks a lot, Yeshua. Um, and I'm, I'm saying that affectionately. I'm, I'm not really blaming, blaming Jesus. But it, it, it may seem unfair that we have to treat people nicely 
when they treat us so badly. But you know, really, when we give our life to the Lord, he was waiting for us. He did something nice for us, even though we treated him badly before we developed our relationship with him. He's already lived this for us. He wants us to be distinct from the world so people see the good, so they're attracted to the good. It's not about how relevant we are. It's about how much we show what God is in our life and who God is in our life. I'm very excited about where we're going as a church. I'm very excited about our impact in community. We have our community, yes, but what we're going out to the community for, we do want to reach lives. We really do. And we've got ideas, our home groups. But I tell you, uh, if you are looking to really impact the community, be sure that you're part of a home group. So our home groups, they go out and they do things in the community and they share faith. They do some really neat things. And you'll hear more about that in some weeks. But uh, as a church, we do want to be involved in our community and knowing how to, how to communicate with people and what to look at with people. We don't have to look at the whys. It's a heavy thing. Speak graciously and just look at their fruit. Look at their fruit. Just like the Lord does with us, although he knows our hearts too. So by doing that, in these days, in this context... We will build a good community. We'll encourage the other, uh, each other, and we'll encourage people in the world for the Lord. I really believe it. This is an exciting time for our church. The closer and closer it gets to the end, the more exciting the time gets. The more exciting the time gets. It's pretty cool. It's kind of like if you've, any of you have ever played sports, the closer you get to game time, the more exciting it gets. Right? Well, this is game time. The end is not that far off. So this is exciting. So please stand up. We're going to close with a word of prayer.